you have your Bibles, would you please turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. If you're wondering where 1 Thessalonians is, it's in your New Testament second half of your Bible. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We are going through a series here at Thrive. It is called Take Me Higher. Everyone say, Take Me Higher. And this series is all about seven struggles that we all go through in life. I don't care what your background is, as long as you're a human being living and breathing on this planet, you can relate to these struggles we're talking about. And the fact is today is a very special day because we are concluding our series today. Everyone say, aww. Have you guys enjoyed our Take Me Higher series? We've had an amazing time doing this series called Take Me Higher, trying to not just understand seven of the biggest struggles we go through, but how we can overcome these struggles. The fact is these struggles are nothing new. 1,500 years ago, the early Christian church identified these struggles as the seven deadly sins. It's not because these are the only sins we could ever commit. It's not the only sins that the Bible talks about, but these sins tend to lead to other problems in our lives, and that's why they're called the seven deadly sins. And if you can see with me on this screen, these are the seven struggles that we've been talking about so far in our series. We looked at pride. Everyone say pride. Looked at anger. Everyone say anger. Look at envy. Everyone say envy. And then in a few weeks before, we looked at gluttony. Everyone say gluttony. And then there's slothfulness. Everyone say slothfulness. And then there's greed. Everyone say greed. And uh, today we're looking at the last of these seven. And uh, as a grand finale, originally I was going to get one of my friends uh, uh, to, uh, he's, a, he's a, uh, a martial artist. He's in fact an amateur uh, championship caliber uh, Muay Thai fighter uh, to come up on the stage. And we're going to kind of bring up these boards with each uh, of those struggles on the board. Uh, have them all named there. And then he's going to break the boards in front of you. Uh, but just for safety reasons, we thought uh, we didn't want anyone to get hit by a board in the middle of that. And so we decided not to do that. But nonetheless, we believe that as we finish off our final episode today, that the best is yet to come. If you believe us, say amen. And today we're looking at the struggle of lust. Let's all stand as we read God's word this morning together. Would you help me preach in this place this morning as we read the word of God? We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 8. Read in a big, loud voice. What does it say? It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate love lusts like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Let's all read John chapter 8, 9, and 11. These three quick verses, let's read it together. It says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Before I tell you the title to today's message, today we're talking about the struggle of lust. And even though this is the final message in this series called Take Me Higher, the fact is that I've been getting ready for this message even before the series began. And that's because I believe that for many of us, there's no struggle that is bigger, there's no struggle that's more controversial, there's no struggle that hits closest to home, there's no struggle that's more obvious to us and in many ways is hidden to others than the struggle called lust. 
Now, maybe you're here today and you know that you struggle in this area and you've been hurting in this area. Maybe you've hurt others in this area. I want you to know right off the bat today, I'm not here to exacerbate your shame. I'm here to remind you that regardless of what your past has been like, is that God loves you with an unconditional love. Tell your neighbor, God loves you with an unconditional love. And that if there's anyone who wants you to find joy, peace, hope in the area of sex and sexuality, it's God. And so whether it's you or it's someone you love who struggles in this area of lust, my hope is that today's message is going to be very, very helpful for many of you here, providing real hope and practical advice that you're going to help to use to, to win in the battle against lust. And so today's message is called, The Object of My Desire, Winning the Battle Against Lust. As you turn to your neighbor, please don't tell them you're the object of my desire. Okay, don't say that. All right. Don't say that. That'd be a little bit awkward. Unless, of course, you're married to them, you're on your way to marrying them. Please don't say you're the object of my desire. Instead, you can just say simply, uh, give them a high five and say, we all got desires. Tell them that right now, all right? We all got desires. We all got desires. Please have your seats. See, today we're talking about the struggle called lust. Now, the word lust is a somewhat general term, both in the Bible and in the English language. The word lust in the Bible and in the English language tends to refer to intense craving for something. And it's not necessarily just sex. You know, we can lust after power, which is called pride. We can lust after money and material possessions, which is called greed. We can lust after food, which is gluttony. We can lust after comfort and taking the easy way out, which is what we talked about last week, slothfulness. But since we've covered these different struggles in our series earlier on, today we're going to finish off by focusing specifically on lust as it relates to sex. Now, before I give you a definition for lust this morning, let me first clarify for us today what lust is not, because some people are confused in this area. And in order for you to understand what lust is, you kind of have to also have a good grasp of what lust is not. Hope you take some good notes here this morning. Write this down. Number one, being physically attracted to someone is not lust. Just because you walk into church and you notice someone you've never noticed before and go, wow, that's a good-looking guy. Or, wow, she's pretty. That doesn't mean you're lusting. Physical attraction and lust are not the same thing. That's the, that's the first thing you want to know. Another one that lust is not. Having the desire for sex is not necessarily lust. See, God made us sexual beings. And just because you desire sex doesn't necessarily mean that you're lusting. And so if physical tr- attraction is not lust, if desiring sex is not necessarily lust, what is lust? Let me give you a definition we're going to be working with today for lust. We hope, this, we hope you write this down. What is lust? Lust is entertaining impure sexual thoughts and allowing them to affect the way you see and treat others and yourself. Lust is entertaining impure sexual thoughts and allowing those impure sexual thoughts to affect how you look at others, how you look at yourself, how you treat others, how you treat yourself. Are all sexual thoughts impure? No, absolutely not. If you read the Bible, if you read different books in the Bible, like the Song of Songs, you're going to see that sex in God's eyes was always meant to be a great thing. That God always intended for sex to be a beautiful, enjoyable intimacy-building, and life-giving thing. And by life-giving, I don't just mean making babies. Sex was always something that was good in God's eyes and that it brings life to us because we are sexual beings. If you believe that, say amen. And so in God, according to God's word, sex is a good thing. Sex was God's idea. God never made anything that wasn't good or that he didn't say was good, and sex is one of those things. Along with that, not only is sex something that God deemed to be good, God made our bodies, and our bodies are good. 
Turn to him and say, your body is good. And tell him that's not a pickup line. The fact is this, your bodies are made in the image of God. Your bodies, in fact, Psalm 139 says, I praise you, O Lord, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, according to the Bible, our bodies are not just these empty, worthless shells that we should just kind of like, just kind of discard as soon as we can. No, our bodies are beautiful creations made by God that are worth admiring, celebrating, and praising God for. That's your body. And see, just because you are physically attracted to someone doesn't mean you're necessarily lusting after them. No, it doesn't. Just because you have a desire for sexual intimacy, does that mean you are a lustful person? No, God made us to be sexual beings with a sex drive. And so if you desire sexual intimacy, it just means you're human. So what's the problem with lust? See, as with all the other struggles we've talked about in this series called Take Me High Up, lust takes a good thing and twists it. And you're going to find that, with, for example, with, with greed. Greed does this. It takes a good thing like money and twists it. And all of a sudden, you have this unhealthy, unhappy attachment to money, which originally was a good thing. You know, lust or you know, gluttony takes food, which is a good thing, and it twists it. All of a sudden, you have you know, food defining your happiness and your worth in a way that it was never meant to be. Lust is the same way. Lust takes a good thing, which is sex, and it twists it. It takes it and turns it into this unhealthy, unhappy attachment to sex in a way that God never intended. Lust is when I take the gift of sex, and instead of worshiping God who gave the gift, I start to worship the gift itself. I start to let sex define my worth, my happiness, instead of letting God's love define my worth and my happiness. If you believe that, say amen. Now, practically speaking, lust means you are entertaining impure sexual thoughts and you're allowing them to affect the way you look at others and look at yourself, the way you treat others and the way you treat yourself. What is an impure sexual thought? Write this down. An impure sexual thought is where you use someone that you're not married to or someone that you're not intending to marry at all for your own sexual gratification. And that thought, that impure sexual thought, it could remain in your mind and you do nothing about it, that's still lust. You, you can act out on that, 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 that thought and that, that is lust as well. But see, it's about entertaining an impure sexualized thought about someone you're not married to or not intending to marry. And, and see, notice that one key to determining is a sexual thought, is it, is it pure or impure, has a lot to do with are you married to the person? Why is that? Why is marriage the boundary between whether a sexual thought is pure or impure? It's because God made sex and lifelong love to go together. Let me say it again. God made sex and lifelong love to go together. See, sex is not simply a physical act, but it is so powerful that it joins two people on every level, not just physically, but emotionally, psychologically, even spiritually. That's why when a person is raped, that the emotional trauma, the psychological scars will linger for far longer than however long it takes for their body to heal because sex is not just a physical act. That's why when two people have an affair, it might have just lasted 10 minutes. And physically, it was only 10 minutes. But if you have an affair, what happens is the psychological, emotional, spiritual impact lasts far longer than those 10 minutes that your bodies were physically coming together. And see, despite all that Hollywood preaches about how sex outside of marriage feels so right, it can't be wrong. The fact is, casual sex is never really that casual. 
because you're going to find different therapists, they'll, the psychologists, they'll talk about how people, especially in, for example, the sexual revolution in the 60s, at one time they're like saying, oh, it's so freeing. I can have sex with whoever I want, whatever I want. And they're the same people who end up in counseling rooms going, why am I so unhappy? It's because sex is not simply a physical act. Sex is a powerful thing that joins two people together on every level. And because sex is such a powerful thing, the Bible says there is a proper and safe place for sexual intimacy, and that is in the context of marriage. It's in the context of marriage, in the context of a loving, lifelong commitment to another person. And that's also in the place, it's in the place of marriage where children can best grow up in a safe place where families can thrive. That's why God puts sex and marriage together. It's not to spoil our fun, it's to protect our joy. It's to protect lifelong love. And so there are sexually pure thoughts. There are also sexually impure thoughts. When you, as a husband, are entertaining sexual thoughts about your wife, that's actually a very good thing. That, that, that can be a very good, God-pleasing thing. When you, as a wife, are you know, maybe, and maybe you know, having you know, sexual thoughts about your husband, that can be a good, healthy, God-pleasing thing. But when we don't respect God's purpose for sex, and we start to entertain sexual thoughts about people that we're not married to and have no intention of marrying, the results are really damaging. It's because sex is such a powerful thing. And you're, what you're trying to do is you're taking the power of sex without the commitment to lifelong love. And see, there's another way to define an impure sexual thought, which is this, is that an impure sexual thought is also where you fantasize about having sex in a way that the Bible commands against. So th- those are two ways that you can have impure sexual thoughts. Is that one is that you're having sexual thoughts about someone that you're not married to, you're entertaining that thought. The other one is where you're fantasizing about having sex in a way that the Bible commands against. Again, let's review. What is lust? Lust is entertaining impure sexual thoughts and allowing them to affect the way you see and treat others and yourself. Now, let me ask you this. Question for you. Just because you suddenly have a sexual thought about someone that you're not married to, does that mean automatically that you're lusting? Does it? Does it? Well, here's the thing. It depends. It depends on what you do with that initial sudden thought. Do you linger on it? Do you feed it? At what point does it go from a temptation to lust to the sin of lust? Aren't you glad that as your pastor, I do not have a pair of magic binoculars where I can look into your heart and go, okay, this man is really attracted to this woman. Yes. Yes, I see that. Oh, okay, yeah, he's kind of tempted. He's, he's, temp- he's very tempted to do something. Oh, 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 he's lusting. He's, oh, he's lusting. He's lusting. He's lusting. Okay, write that down. At, at, at 10.09 a.m. on November 24, he lusted. Write that down. No, do, do, do I do that? Thank God I don't do that. And praise God, I don't have those binoculars. Does heaven do that? Do angels do that? Maybe. We're not, full, we're not fully sure. The Bible says a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. So if it happens anywhere, it's in heaven, but not here. Aren't you glad that your pastor doesn't do that? But the fact is this, is that we cannot always understand the exact mechanics of when temptation becomes actual lust. But remember this, Hebrews 4 says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, but didn't sin. Jesus was tempted in every way, but didn't sin. In other words, if Hebrews 4 is correct, if it's saying the truth, what that means is, was Jesus tempted to have sex with someone that he, he, that, that he wasn't married to? If Hebrews 4 is correct, then the, the answer is yes. He had that temptation. 
is that, and, 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 but he, he didn't act on the temptation. Having that, that sudden temptation and acting on it are two different things. And why don't you write that down? Being tempted with an impure thought and lusting are not the same thing. It's what, it's what you do with that temptation that determines whether you're lusting or not. And so with all that in mind, let me ask a question today. Do you struggle with lust? Do you? Let me give you a few clues that might indicate that you struggle with lust. Clue number one, and give yourself a point for each one that you can relate to. Number one, you allow your mind to dwell on fantasies about someone you're not married to. Maybe there's one person in particular that you keep fantasizing about. Or maybe it's not one person, but it's people generally. In fact, when you walk down the hall of your company, or you're walking down the hall of your you know, school, or you're just walking down the street, and when you see someone that you're attracted to, you might not even know them, but your mind automatically starts to undress them with your eyes. Your mind start, automatically starts to picture sexual images of that person. If that's you, then that could be a clue that you're struggling with lust. Clue number two, you choose entertainment because of its sexual content. It might not be explicit pornography, but when you think about the places you go to for entertainment, the movies and TV shows that you watch, the books and the magazines and the short stories and the articles that you read, the music and the videos that you consume, it's not because, you don't really, if you had to be really honest with yourself, you don't really watch those things because the acting is so good or because the screenplay is so well written, or the special effects and the cinematography are so good. No, it's often because we're interested in the sex scenes. We're interested in the sexual content. It's kind of like that guy who goes, yeah, yeah, the reason why I go to that strip club all the time is because the steak is really good, you know? Yeah, they make a mean steak, and that, that's why I go to the strip club. Oh, no, no, that, that's not why you're going. That's not why you're going. It's because of the sexual content. See, we might deny it publicly, but deep down, if the reason we choose entertainment is for its sexual content, then that's a clue that we might struggle with lust affecting our lives. Clue number three. Clue number three. You search for pornography. See, whether it's on your phone or on your laptop, on your TV, you consume pornography, watching videos of people you're not married to, having sex as a way to gratify yourself. And see, if you struggle with pornography, the fact is that you're not alone. You're not alone. Pornhub, which is the world's most popular porn website, reported in 2017. This is about two years ago. They said that on their website, uh, this is according to them, they got 28.5 billion visits in one year. 28.5 billion visits. 81 million average visits per day, 81 million. 25 billion searches performed in one year. Uh, 50,000 searches per minute, or that's 800 searches a second. Uh, over 4 million videos uploaded that would take, if you kind of put them back to back, they would be about 68 years worth of content. Um, about 3,732 pentabytes of information transferred, which is enough to fill, fill the memory of every iPhone on Earth, apparently. Uh, the average visitor to a website spends about 6.5 minutes per visit, which is a porn website. According to a survey conducted by the Barna Group in the U.S. in 2014-2016, they say that the following percentages of men say that they view pornography at least once a month. If you're 18 to 30 year old, 30 year old then that's 79%. Uh, for 31 to 49-year-olds, 67% of men. 50 to 68-year-old, uh, that's 49% of men. And then that that's once a month viewing pornography. Here's another one, is uh, viewing pornography several times a week. Uh, for 18 to 30 year olds, the, sur the survey said 63% do so. Uh, from 31 to 49 year olds, it's uh, 38%. 50 to 68 year olds, 25%. This is several times a week for men. How about women? Um, men aren't the only people who look at porn. Um, in This is once a month viewing pornography. 18 to 30 year olds, 76%. 
31 to 49 years old, 31 to 49 years old, 16%. Uh, 50 to 68 year old, 4%. Uh, and then this is women viewing pornography at least several times a week. In the age category of 18 to 30, 21%. It's about one fifth. Um, and then 31 to 49, that's 5%. And uh, for 50 to 68, 0%. A uh, couple of final stats for you. Um, they say that about 55% of men, uh, married men, say they watch porn at least once a month, compared to about 70% of unmarried men. Uh, about 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month, compared to 16% of unmarried women. Uh, and then according to another survey from 2014, uh, this is for Christians now, said 64% of self-identified Christian men and 15% of self-identified Christian women view pornography at least once a month. Um, and then in, uh, and then this is about several times a week, 37% of Christian men and 7% of Christian women view pornography at least several times a week. See, what's wrong with pornography? See, pornography is giving free reign to lust through impure sexual thoughts about people that you're not married to, and you allow them to live in your heart and your mind. It starts to change the way you look at people. It starts to, it starts to change the way you look at the world around you. It starts to fill you with lust. And you're going to find that you don't kill lust by looking to fulfill it. You, you actually grow the lust when you feed it. And, and it changes our expectations and views on what sex is. Uh, using, uh, using pornography and masturbating to pornography is really a private, convenient form of soliciting a prostitute. You might not be paying for that person. Uh, the fact is they say about 80 to 90% of internet porn users only use the free material. But the fact is that you're essentially paying with your heart and your mind someone that you don't know and are not married to to perform sexual acts for your satisfaction. And the only difference when it comes to porn versus a prostitute is that one is skin to skin, the other one's through a screen. One, in one case, you exit by walking out a door. In the other case, you just close a window. That's the difference. Matthew 5, 27 to 30 says it this way. Read it with me in big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, You've heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. Though I tell you that anyone who lusts or looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Stop right there. Clue number four. Clue number four. You pursue connections with people based purely on sex. Maybe it's one of the things where among your friends, you're the one who likes to tell the dirty jokes. You're kind of known for being the one with all the adult material and stuff. And you're kind of the, the, the guy who sources it and the guy who distributes it. And, and that, that's maybe you. Or maybe say you're a girl and you're considering whether or not to date a guy. And you're like, oh, now let me see. On one hand, uh, you know, he's still in high school and I'm 31 years old. Uh, you know, he has never held a job for more than two weeks. Uh, you know, he's a registered sex offender. That's on one hand. On the other hand, oh, he's so hot. Oh, yeah, I'll date him, sure. I'll date him. It, what is that? that? That's you choosing to, to, to make a connection with someone based on sex regardless of anything else. If that's you, then that could be a clue that you also struggle with lust. Number five, clue number five. Because of sexual desires, you end up crossing boundaries that you know you shouldn't cross. Maybe it gets to stuff like being, you know, sexually harassing other people. Um, you know, they, they said in a survey of about 4,000 teens from Australia and New Zealand, one in three teens from New Zealand and Australia, they received, a nude, they received a nude image that they didn't ask for on their phones. And they, they, the same amount of people reported that they were asked for a nude image of themselves to send out as well. Uh, that's clue number five, is that because of sexual desires, you end up crossing boundaries that should never be crossed. Number six, final clue, you're carrying on a sexual relationship or sexual activities with someone that you're not married to. Whether it's sexual intercourse with a partner that you're not married to, or it's sexting, or whether it's someone you know well or someone you don't know well, well at all, 
if we find ourselves carrying on a sexual relationship or sexual activity with someone that we're not married to, that's a good indicator that we've allowed lust to really impact our lives. What are the problems that lust causes? I'm not sure how many of these you can identify with, how many clues you can relate to. But if lust is a struggle for you, and I believe lust is a struggle for many, if not all people, problems that lust causes, let's look at a few right now. Write this down. Lust turns us into increasingly selfish, self-centered people. Why is that? It's because lust is selfish in nature. In fact, lust and love are complete opposites. You know, Rebecca DeYoung, who writes about the seven deadly sins, she's in fact one of the leading authors on the issue of seven deadly sins. She talks about lust in those ways. She says, lust is the habit of trying to engineer my own happiness for myself on my own terms. In lust, my own pleasure is the goal. I decide where to get it and when and with whom. My life revolves around my desires, wants, and needs. I disown my need for God's love for the love of others. I prefer to find my own delight, meet my own desire for satisfaction, fill myself. Unlike one who risks depending on the love of another and who risks giving himself to another, the lustful one chooses to be autonomous, providing his good for himself. See, lust is a very lonely venture. Notice that, you know, when people talk about lust, it's never, it, it's, you always talk about, oh, I'm lusting after that person, or I lust for that thing, but it's never I lust with that person. It's never with, because lust is a very lonely endeavor. It's never interpersonal. It's all about me. And when you allow lust to control your life, it turns you into an increasingly selfish and self-centered person. In fact, you're going to find that lust and love, they are complete opposites. Lust says now. Love says I'll wait. Lust says me first. Love says you first. Lust takes, love gives. Lust violates, love protects. Lust says, I don't care if it's wrong. I just want to do what I feel like doing. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Lust is not interested in making a personal commitment or putting effort to meeting another person's needs, but love, on the other hand, is all about personal commitment. It's about meeting the other person's needs even when you don't feel like it yourself. See, lust has this way of turning us into very selfish people. That lust has a way of poisoning the way we look at and value the people around us. There's, a, there's one author called Maxie Dunham who says, love treats people as persons, lust treats people as things. See, there's always an object when it comes to lust. There's always an object in mind. And, 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 and it's one of those things where you, when you are lusting after someone, you're not loving them. You're simply using them for your own selfish purpose. So that's, what, well, that's the first problem that lust causes. It causes us to become increasingly selfish self-centered people. Another problem with lust, write this down. Lust destroys relationships, families, homes, and destinies. Maxie Dunham, I talked about him earlier. He and Kimberly Dunham Reisman, they're authors who've helped hundreds of couples through difficult marriage issues. And this is what they wrote about the effect of, of lust on relationships. Re read this. It says, lust is deadly preoccupation. Sometimes that preoccupation results in action, sometimes it doesn't. So, so in other words, sometimes we act on lust, sometimes we don't. But it always disrupts healthy relationships and endangers promises of faithfulness. Lust is sexual desire apart from commitment and responsibility. See, how many of us have heard of or even experienced for ourselves times when lust destroyed a marriage? or lust destroyed a home, or lust pulled apart a family, or lust destroyed even a church or a person's destiny. Praise God that God's love is greater than man's lust. God's forgiveness is greater than our mistakes. But if we're not careful, lust can destroy it all. You gotta be careful. Turn to him and say, you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. Another problem that lust causes. Lust, and this one I find really interesting, lust hinders rather than helps your sex life. 
Lust actually hinders rather than helps your sex life. For example, uh, Dr. Mary Ann Layden, she's the director of education at the Center for Cognitive Therapy at the University of Pennsylvania. She has done some extensive research on how porn affects those who watch it. And this is what she wrote. She says, I have also seen in my clinical experience that pornography damages the sexual performance of the viewers. Pornography viewers tend to have problems with premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction, having spent so much time in unnatural sexual experiences with paper, celluloid, and cyberspace. They seem to find it difficult to have sex with a real human being. Pornography is raising their expectation and demands for types and amounts of sexual experience, and yet at the same time, it's reducing their ability to experience sex. Amazing. It's amazing. Is that on one hand, lust causes us to have these hugely unrealistic expectations of sex, and yet we can't even enjoy sex when it actually comes down to it. That's what lust does. Instead of helping us view and experience sex, lust has this way of cheapening sex, distorting our view of it, and ruin our experience of it. It's not God, but it's lust that ruins sex for us. That's, that's, that's the third problem that lust causes. Fourth problem we'll talk about today. Lust empties you of joy. Lust empties you of joy. See, even if you never act on your lust by touching someone else in a wrong way, the fact is lust destroys you. Lust doesn't make you feel alive. Lust kills you. Lust doesn't set you free. Lust enslaves you. Lust doesn't make you happy. It leads to depression. I know that from personal experience. 20 years ago, and I, I was you know, going through law school at the time, I'd just broken up with a girlfriend, and during that time, I was struggling with pornography. And it was something where it wasn't always because I had all these lustful thoughts in me. I have to look at porn. Very often, if I had to really be frank with you, that during that time, my struggle was because I just felt this emptiness. Maybe I was, I was missing, you know, relationship. And, 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 you know, it was one of those where I just felt stressed and restless. And I thought that somehow turning to pornography would give me the, you know, the, the, the release that I need. It would give me that peace that I couldn't find. And, you know, I found this. Every time I looked at pornography, after that initial fleeting high, what always followed were days upon days of greater stress than I had to begin with, greater restlessness than I had to begin with. Instead of getting an emotional pick-me-up from pornography, I would be down and depressed, ashamed and guilt-ridden. On top of that, it would change the way that I started to look at the people in my life, it, like where I would just naturally start to look at people in a sexual way. Instead of offering me hope, porn did the opposite. Instead of setting me free, it actually made me a slave. And that's the thing about lust, is that lust Lust promises so much, and it delivers so little. It promises, oh, if you, if you give in to lust, it's going to fulfill you. You're going to be happy. You're gonna, your life is going to feel so much better. But the fact is this, is that lust is always a ripoff. Because at the end of the day, whatever high you receive in that one moment is always offset by tremendous shame and guilt and, you know, you finding that you're, you're, the way you look at people, the way you, you think, it's all warped and messed up. It's because lust doesn't give you life. It brings you death. If you believe it, say amen. And if you let it, lust can suck the life out of you. It can empty you of joy. If you find that you struggle with lust, you might even find that you, the stuff that you normally enjoy, the stuff that, you know, that, that has nothing to do with sex, like, you know, like, you know, like you know, sports that you love or, or, or people that you love, that you can't even really enjoy those things when you're controlled by sex. It doesn't bring life. It brings death. And no wonder that's why the Bible says it's not about feeding your lust, but you need to put 
lust to death. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 with me. Read in the big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. See, we learn a couple things from this passage is that in addition to all the other problems that lust brings, that one more problem that lust brings is that, is that lust invites God's wrath. Because God never intended for sex to be used in a lustful way. It was always intended to be a beautiful, intimacy-building, life-giving thing. But see, when we give into lust, we twist it, and that's why it invites God's wrath. And because God's wrath is serious, and because lust has so many problems that come with it, we need to put lust to death. As Colossians 3, chapter, verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust included. So how do you do that? How do you put lust to death? We're going to talk about that today, right now. So you remember that being tempted with, a, with an impure thought is not the same as the sin of lust itself. Sometimes we can't help it when an impure thought suddenly in, uh, enters our mind, but it's, it's what you do with that impure thought that is crucial. And so I'm going to end today by giving you six ways that you can attack lust. And if you struggle with lust in any way, I hope you take some good notes and you take to heart what we're talking about today, because this could be your road to freedom starting today. Number one, if you want to put lust to death, practice saying no to lustful thoughts. Practice saying no to lustful thoughts. In other words, whenever you are tempted with an impure thought, take a stand against it right away. See, the problem with us is this, is that when, we, when, we, when, when a lustful thought comes, when an impure thought comes, we tend not to push it away right away. We tend to let it linger. It, you know, instead of saying, get out of here, we say, oh, come in, stay for a little bit if you want. You know, stay, you know we, you, we feed it coffee and cookies. And, oh, stay, stay, well, you can stay for a snack, but not for dinner. Okay, fine, stay for dinner. Okay, oh, fine, stay overnight. And, and what is it? It's that we, we don't say no to lust. We kind of just, in a very kind of non-intentional way, we just kind of let it sit there. We don't do anything about it, but it's there. And see, that's one of the ways that lust gets a foothold in our lives, when we just don't do anything about it. It's the, here's the thing. You can't compromise with lust. Don't enter into trade talks with lust and try to negotiate a deal. The fact is, when it comes to lust, the thing you need to do is walk away and say no. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. What does it say? It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldliness passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. See, it's about learning to say no. Everyone say no. Everyone say no. No. See, what is this is because when I'm tempted by an impure thought, it's, it's, uh, it, what, what, what happens next is crucial. If I, if I let it into my life and I feed it and I just kind of don't do anything about it, it's going to wreak havoc in my, in, in, my, in, in, in my life. Maybe not at first, but over time it will. And so what you need to do is the moment you get that tempted, you know, that, that tempted impure thought, then you say, in Jesus' name, get away from me. No, in Jesus' name, I'm not going to go there. What you're doing, you're making it clear to myself. I'm making it clear to myself. I'm making it clear to God. I'm making it clear even to Satan that this thought is not welcome in my mind, my heart, and in my life. That's practicing saying no. Turn to me and say, practice saying no. Practice saying no. Number two, remind yourself that giving into lust is always a ripoff. It's always a ripoff. 
See, in other words, giving into lust will never satisfy you. Lust is the expert of empty promises. Like, lust will never satisfy you, and the price for giving into lust is never worth it. It's always a ripoff. Think of times when you've been ripped off, times when you paid this amount of money you thought it was such a good deal, it turned out to be such a bad deal, such a ripoff. That's what lust is. The thing with lust is this, is that lust gives no consideration to the consequences of its actions. Lust is simply focused on the thrill of the moment and gives no thought to the future, gives no thought to what will happen if I do this. For example, you have you know, King David. He's the king of Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, you hear about how when, at a time when kings are supposed to go to war, David held back. He stayed back. And all of a sudden, he noticed this woman who's bathing. Her name is Bathsheba. And, 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 and she's naked. And he starts to, when he gets that impure thought, he doesn't push it away. He lets it linger. And he lets it you know, start to fester in his mind to the point where he's like, I need this girl. I, I want this girl. He summons her to the palace. They sleep together. And, and you know, she ends up having a baby to cover up the the, the, the affair, he ends up murdering her husband. You know, later on, because of this affair, this baby is going to end up actually not surviving. And, and after that, his kingdom would end up going through a major revolt, partly because of this thing that happened. Later on, his, his, his son Solomon would have the same issue, but even worse. He would be the, the worst adulterer of, uh, in, 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 in the Old Testament. And, and, and as a result of his inability to control his lust, he would end up losing his kingdom in the next generation. And, what, and, and this is the thing that, that, that all happened after that one moment of pleasure and, and what happened was when David I can guarantee you when David was holding Bathsheba in his arms and they're in that palace room in that chamber he wasn't thinking okay if I do this then you know my reputation is going to be tarnished you know my and then you know the, uh, there's going to be an unwanted pregnancy the baby's going to die uh, you know I'm going to murder a husband uh, you know I'm, I'm also after that I'm also going to you know my, my son's going to have even more issues you know my, the kingdom's going to fall apart he's not thinking those things he's just thinking a moment of pleasure that's all he's thinking. And that's what lust does, is that it causes us to be focused just on the moment, forgetting about the consequences. And that's why in those times when I'm ever tempted with an impure thought, one of the things that I'll start to do is I'll, I'll start looking at photos of, uh, in, in my phone. You know what those photos are when I have, a, I have a tempted thought? One of the things I'll do is I'll look at photos of my wife and kids. Because I think myself, it's reminded me of what's most important, most precious in my life. And that if I'm not careful, I could end up hurting the people that I love the most. It's because lust is a ripoff. Amen. See, lust promises so much, but it delivers so little. Whatever initial high you experience will always be negated by the, sh- the hurt, the shame, the destruction that inevitably come afterwards. Look at Proverbs 6, 27 to 33. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. What does it say? It says, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. Why don't you write this down? You are always guaranteed to lose when you give into lust. You are always guaranteed to lose when you give into lust. You think the odds of winning the lottery are bad? You think going to a casino and the odds of you winning at blackjack are bad? The odds of you winning against lust are always bad when you give into it. 
You are guaranteed to lose when you give them to lust. I said you're guaranteed to lose when you give them to lust. I said you're guaranteed to lose when you give them to lust. I say it three times, so hopefully you remember it. You're guaranteed to lose when you give into lust. Maybe some of you guys said you need to take that phrase and you have to put that on your computer somewhere. And, and maybe you'll, you, you, you may be in a code language that not other people can't understand, but you know what it says. You're guaranteed to lose when you give them to lust because lust is always a ripoff. Amen. Amen. Number three, avoid those situations and sights that arouse impure thoughts in you. See, so much of lust functions on situations that we find ourselves in that we didn't intend or sights that we see that trigger a thought in us. I remember there's one time when um, I think I was, living in, I was living in Taiwan at the time and I was house-sitting for a friend by myself. Uh, Pastor Shar, she was off on a work trip, so I was by myself in this house and I'm house-sitting for uh, a relative. And uh, this house was like, I, I would say, any typical Taiwanese family, uh, you know, dwelling. It was, you know, had lots of these newspapers. And I don't know, but uh, like, for some of these newspapers had all these provocative images of, you know, you know like scantily clad women and, and, you know, all these different advertisements, you know, that were sex-related sex and all that stuff. There were all these magazines, and, you know, these magazines had similar stuff on them. Uh, there was a big TV in the room I was staying in, and, I, and there, was, there were certain channels on that that I, I was, you know, like, uh, concerned about. And I was like, okay, this is, this, is, this is not good because, you know, if I just stay here, um, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And so when I did, I, I, I called my friend, and I said, hey, um, hey, dude, can, can I just tell you something? Like, I, I'm, I'm house-sitting right now, and I've got, like, all these magazines that I don't want to be here right now, uh, but it's not my house. And, and I've, got, I've got this TV here. I, I don't know what to go, like, can you pray for me? He's like, okay, let, let me pray for you, but let me tell you to do one more thing. And, and he had some really good advice for me. He said, okay, I want you to take those magazines. I want you to take those newspapers. I want you to go outside. I, I want you to put it somewhere outside where it's really hard for you to get to at the middle of the night. And then and you, you'll bring them back at the end of the day because it's not your stuff. But, but, but just put them outside somewhere where it's relatively safe, that it won't get taken away. But you're not going to look at it at the, like, in the middle of the night. And, and he said, okay, take that TV, turn it around. It's this big TV. I'm, I'm, I'm turning this thing around. And so even if in the middle of the night I felt like watching stuff, I'd, be, I'd, I'd wake up and I'm like, oh, man, I, I can't watch anything. And, and, and you know what? It worked. It was one of the best pieces of advice I'd gotten from a friend when it came to the area of staying sexually pure. It's because if you want to win in the battle against lust, it's about avoiding those situations and sights that arouse impure thoughts in you. If you believe us, say amen. That's why, you know, to this day, you know, when I am meeting uh, you know, someone here at the church building, one-on-one, -on -one, and, you know, the person I'm meeting is a woman, uh, and we're meeting in my office, one of, there's a couple things that we'll tend to do, is that I'll keep the door open so that people can see, okay, it's, a, it's an open meeting. And, and, you know, I try not to meet with a woman one-on-one -on -one behind a closed door that way. If it's a really sensitive matter that requires that kind of privacy, we'll, we'll close the door. But there is a window that connects between my assistant Amy's office and my office where people can just easily look in through there. And, and you know, sometimes for privacy, say, you know, Amy, she'll, she'll put up a, a cardboard thing there so, you know, I can be on my own that way uh, just by myself. But when I've got a, a woman in the, in, in the, in the, in the, in the room with me just by myself, I'll go to her office, I'll take the cardboard down so that we have plain sight. People can see, okay, the door's closed, but they can see right through, okay, Pastor Jabe is in there. And that's a way for me to simply protect myself from, uh, you know, any compromising situations. Amen. 
Amen. You know, as much as possible, I'll try not to sit in the car by myself with a girl. If there's like, if there's a, an emergency kind of situation where I absolutely kind of have to, then I'll call Shar and I'll, I'll tell her, okay, I'll let her know I'm getting to the car before I actually do. Another thing is, you know, if, if, if you're a guy and, and, you're, and God tends to be very visual, if you're walking down the street and, and you see someone attractive, but you know that if you linger on it, uh, that, uh, you know, it might not be a good thing, you learn to bounce your eyes. You know, you, you, you see someone, you, you bounce the eyes, right? You, you don't go, oh, 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 no, 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 you, 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 you see, you, you, you notice and you go, right? You notice and you bounce. Well, you, I find this is that when you bounce the eyes, you guard the heart. Amen. When you bounce the eyes, you guard the heart. After a while, you find that you're going to forget about that person. The, the Bible says charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting. And I find that, you know, you know, is that if you don't focus on the person, no matter how pretty that person might look, is that if you don't focus on that person, it's not going to affect you. But you need to learn to bounce your eyes because when you bounce the eyes, you guard the heart. Speaking of protecting the eyes, here's no one. Stop consuming entertainment that arouses lustful thoughts in you. Movies, books, music, that where you are really going for it because of the sexual content. You got to stop that. If your struggle is pornography, then you got to do something about that as well. Get a filter if you need to that blocks access to pornographic sites and sexual content on your phone, on your iPad, on your computer. There's one called Covenant Eyes, which has become more and more popular these days that you can try. Another one is if you're sexually involved outside of a marriage, stop it. It's It's not doing you any good at all. It's, it's destroying your life. It's destroying your marriage. It's destroying your future. Stop it right now. If it's an affair, get away from that affair immediately. You know, tell the person, text that person, say, it's over. Don't call me. I'm throwing away the phone. I'm sorry. And be done with it. Because the longer you entertain lust, the longer it's going to wreak havoc in your life. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says it this way. One, two, three, it says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Look at 2 Timothy 2.22. What does it say? It says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. If you have 2 Timothy 2.22 in front of you, why don't you underline these words? The first one is flee. Everyone say flee. And then, re- and then underline these other words, and pursue. I'm say and pursue. See, notice this, is that putting lust to death is not just about you avoiding things. It's not just about fleeing. It's also about what you pursue. And so let's talk about that right now, is that you know, it's not just about being on the defensive. It's also about going on the offensive. And so let's talk about that right now. Number four, leverage the power of a friend. Leverage the power of a friend. I'm so grateful for my friend who was there for me when I was struggling. I could call him. He could pray for me. He could give me some good advice, tell me some truth that I need to hear. And we all need that from time to time. And so if you struggle with lust, can I recommend, can I urge you, is leverage the help of a friend. Guy, find a guy. Girl, find a girl. Someone you can share with and pray with. The power of sin, you'll find, especially when it comes to lust, is in its secrecy. Is that when you don't know, when no one else knows, it's just a secret struggle for you. That's when it's the most powerful. That's because, you know, Satan loves to use lust in the secret. But the moment you get it out in the open, the moment you confess your struggle, the moment you say, hey, can you pray for me in this area, you significantly break the impact that that sin can have on your life, and you welcome the power of God to help you overcome. Amen. Last year, we hosted here at Thrive two groups of men 
here at our church. We just kind of did it sort of, you know, uh, in a, in a in not a very public way, but we had two groups of men. We called them the Conquer Group that was focused on giving men in our church support and encouragement in the area of pornography. And we called it the Conquer Group. It's a five-week course that men can watch uh, teaching on principles and practical tools to help them conquer pornography. And, and you know, we, we, ha- we had you know, two groups that happened last year. They went both very, very well. Uh, this is what one person wrote about their experience about leveraging the power of a friend when it came to their Conquer Group. He says, it helps when I get to share my thoughts and feelings with others. Having others to encourage me and to hold me accountable helped me stay motivated not to seek porn. This is another person he wrote. This group really helped me understand that other people are going through the same thing. Knowing that I'm not alone helps me control my temptations. Having other people in the group makes life easier. To know that I'm not the only one struggling helps me to get through the week. See, if you want to be someone who's putting lust to death, it's about leveraging the power of a friend. By the way, if you struggle in the area of pornography and you could use a group like the Conquer Group, you know, I encourage you, you can go to mythrop.info and you could sign up for the next Conquer Group and we'll let you know, you know, we're still in the planning process right now, but if that is something that you could use for your life, uh, is that you could use a support group, a group where you can encourage one another in your battle against pornography, then you can go to that mythrop.info button, you can click on Conquer Group and this is a con- confidential way that you can let us know that you're interested in that group and we'll contact you when that group is available. If you are a victim of sexual abuse, if you've been sexually abused, then I really do hope and urge you to talk to someone about it. It's because you weren't made to go through life alone. We need one another. James 5.16 says it this way, reading in a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Is this helpful in this place so far? Getting really practical today. Number five, if you want to put lust to death, receive forgiveness and healing from Jesus Christ. Receive forgiveness and healing from Jesus. John 8, 9 to 11. We read it at the beginning. Let's read it one more time. This is a a situation where, you know, the, the Pharisees catch a woman in the act of adultery. And the, she's in the act of an affair. They grab her. So she's probably not even fully clothed. They grab her. They bring her to Jesus. The Bible, the, 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 the Mosaic law says that, oh, you should stone women such as these. And, and they, they say, Jesus, what do you say? Are you going to you know, endorse capital punishment, in which case you're going to put yourself in trouble with the Roman government? Or are you going to actually do what the law tells us to do? And look at John chapter 8, 9, 11. You know, what, what, what is Jesus' response? See, Jesus, he says, he says, well, he starts writing on the ground. He says, let him who, who, who has no sin cast the first stone. And this is what happens. Look at verse 9. He says, When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. You know, why could Jesus say to this woman who was caught in adultery, why could he say, Neither do I condemn you? Why? Is it because lust is no big deal to God? No. No, as we heard and learned and read before, is that lust invites God's wrath. The reason why Jesus could say to this woman, neither do I condemn you, is because just days after this moment that we're just reading, Jesus would get up on a cross and he would die for her. He would die for me. He would die 
for you. He would die for our lust. He would die for our sins. He would die for our mistakes. When our lust invited God's wrath, when our lust and all our other sins separated us from God such that we couldn't have anything to do with God no matter how much we wanted, no matter how much we try, when we had no way of reaching God because of our sin, God sent Jesus Christ. He said, because I love you with an unconditional love. Because I love you with an everlasting love. Because you are not garbage to me. You are my child and I love you and I never want to be apart from you. I'm going to send my own son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for all of your sins, for all of your lust, for all of your mistakes, so that you can be forgiven, so that you don't need to be condemned by the wrath of God. Instead, you can be embraced by the arms of God, by the arms of heaven, and you can know I am forgiven, I am healed, I am free, I am innocent in God's sight, all because of Jesus. Oh, come on, give God a big hand right now. Amen. And so there's forgiveness where Jesus is. There's healing where Jesus is. You know, that's why the most important thing you can do if you struggle with lust today is come to Jesus. Say to God, God, I confess I'm a sinner. I need your help when it comes to this struggle. And if you would do that, the Bible says a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. That God will not push you away when you come to him with that real struggle. He loves you. And you might think the struggle is one I've, I've had for so long. For so long, I've had it. It's been the struggle that I've had for so long. And, and I don't know what to do about it. The fact is this, with man, it might be impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. Finally, as we close, if you want to put lust to death, set your focus on Jesus until he becomes your greatest joy. It's one thing to ask God for forgiveness. We need to do that. We will do that. But if you want to put lust to death, it's not just about ousting lust out of your life. Out, 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 and you have an empty space. No. After you oust lust out, and even as you're ousting lust out, you're inviting Jesus in. And you're saying, God, I don't just want you to forgive me my sins. I want you to fill my home. I want you to fill my mind. I want you to fill my heart. I want you to fill my life. Set your focus on Jesus until he becomes your greatest joy. I find this. When I focus on lust, all I get is emptiness, disappointment, and shame. When I focus on Jesus and I set him before me, I find strength, gladness, security, peace, and joy. Read Psalm 16, 8 to 11 with me. What does it say? It says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You're going to find that with lust, it's all about empty promises. You're going to be so happy. No, you're not. But when you come to God and you set the Lord always before you, what is the result? Joy. What is the result? Peace. Peace and joy and satisfaction and security that lust could never give you, that only God can give you. And so could it be today that the reason why you're so unhappy could it be that the reason why you're so not at peace with life? Could it be the reason why you're so dissatisfied with life is because you're looking for love in all the wrong places? 
is that you've been looking for lust to satisfy you when it will never satisfy you. It's a ripoff. It's an empty promise. If that's you, it's time to go to God. It's time to build a relationship with Jesus. Not just be forgiven by Jesus, but to have a relationship with him. Instead of lust, make Jesus the object of your desire. Whenever you lust, take it as a hint, a clue that you need to pursue God even harder now. Get into God's word. Get into God's presence. Pray. Build that storehouse of truth and strength in your life. If you're not really sure how to do that, if you're not sure how to make Jesus the object of your desire, then we've got something great here at Thrive called Thrive Disciple School Level 2. We're going to be starting that once again next, next year, early next year. Invite you to sign up for that at mythrive.info. The fact is this, is that lust doesn't need to be object of your desire. Jesus can be the object of your desire. And you want, when you make Jesus the object of your desire, he satisfies you with joy and peace. That lust always promises but can never give you. Lust is a ripoff, but Jesus is the object that you truly desire. He's the one that you truly need. He's the friend who will never leave. He's the savior we all need. Come on, give Jesus a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.